0: welcome to high performance mindset with dr sindra campoff do you want to reach your full potential live a life of passion
1: go after your dreams each week we bring you strategies and interviews to help you
0: ignite your mindset let's bring on sindra
1: thank you so much for joining me here today this is dr sindra campoff certified mental performance consultant speaker and author And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm grateful that you're here. Now the goal of this podcast and the goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best leaders, athletes, coaches, and consultants, all about the topic of mindset to help us reach our potential in our field or a sport. Now, typically with two episodes weekly, we explore everything related to mindset. And today's interview is with Dr. Rick McGuire. Dr. Rick McGuire is the director of the Missouri Institute of Positive Coaching. He recently retired as the director of sports psychology for intercollegiate athletics at the University of Missouri and was a graduate professor of sports psychology. So for 27 years, he was Missouri's head track and field coach. And I ran at the University of Northern Iowa. I remember competing against Dr. McGuire and it was really tough to compete against him. So under Coach McGuire's tutelage, Missouri athletes earned 143 All-American recognitions. Outstanding. 110 conference champions, 29 USA national members, three collegiate records, and five Olympians. So he is also the founder and chairman for 27 years of USA track and field and their sports psychology program. He served on the staff of 11 USATF national teams, including the 1992 and 1996 Olympic Games in Barcelona and Atlanta. Now, we talk about a variety of things in this podcast. Here some of the, the most important things and the main things that we talk about. He shares his principles of positive coaching, really how he got into studying positive coaching and his own personal experiences. I ask him a really tough question about a time that he failed, I stumped him. I didn't tell him I was going to ask him that. so uh, I think you're gonna enjoy his conversation and his description about that. He talks about why demeaning never helps people, uh, ways that we can increase other people's self-worth and self-esteem, and the most impactful ways to motivate others. Now I think that you're going to learn uh, about athletes and how to motivate athletes and teams in this in this podcast, but I think you can also apply the principles to your leadership. Um, your leadership in your organization or in your family. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. McGuire. Dr. Rick McGuire, thank you so much for joining us here on the High Performance Mindset Podcast. So welcome.
0: Thank you. Happy to be here, Sandra.
1: I'm looking forward to interviewing you today. I know uh, we've had a chance to speak multiple times and I've heard you speak at the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference. So I'm just looking forward to learning more about uh, your background and sharing it with the audience. So maybe to start us off, Rick, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you're doing right now.
0: I'm a coach. I'm proud to be a coach. It's the most special, most important, most impacting thing that I could do with my life. And so this is my 50th year as a coach. And the short version is i had a very abusive high school coach, but we had a highly successful team. And so the scream, yell, curse, humiliate, threaten, berate, bully, physically, emotionally, mentally, anything that could make you maybe go a little bit harder, a little bit longer was fair game in his coaching toolbox. Nobody questioned it because we won. But we, we won, but we weren't celebrative. We were surviving my college coach was uh, my sport was basketball. My college coach, Bob Sheldon, Division Three, St. Lawrence University, was maybe the nicest human being I've ever met in my life. And a freshman team that was eighteen and three were five and eighteen and seniors, so we literally lost. And so the picture looked like SOBs win championships, nice guys finish last. Sure, uh, I couldn't accept any of that and so that kind of made a right turn and decided I was going to become a coach and I was going to find a better way. back then my passion was to coach my team against my high school coach's team beat him and go up afterwards and say there that's how to coach
1: <laughs>
0: uh, that was that I recognized later was revenge
1: sure
0: that's not that, that's not any better than, than the garbage that he was doing except revenge. In this case, it was a riveting motive, and it wasn't hurting anybody. Uh, and I'm not defending it. I'm just saying I'm glad I, I'm glad my motivations grew stronger and for other sources uh, than revenge. But but it was a riveting mo- motive uh, to to find a better way. I thought it was going to be easy. Turns out I was, I was wrong at first, and then when I really did understand and started to to really build my own model, my own philosophy, my own principles, it also became real easy. The, but So I went from thinking it was easy to finding it wasn't very easy, to finding, wow, this is really deep and, and, and some could consider it hard, but in the end of the day, turns out it's all really pretty easy. Uh, but people make it unnecessarily complicated and hurtful. Okay. So it's my passion to change that. Wherever kids meet sport, Kids do meet sport at the coach, so wherever they're meeting sport the coach, I want it to be that the coach showing up makes the whole thing better. And that isn't always the case. And we all know that there's still way too many people out there in coaching roles that have just terrible behaviors. Uh, They're bullies. They're hurting kids. That's being allowed because some way along the line, people said, well, that's coaches, and you got to be like that. you are going to be good. It's all nonsense. So there's my motive.
1: Ah, love it. That's that's a strong purpose and why. And we're going to talk a little bit more today about um, why you started the Missouri Institute of Positive Coaching and what positive coaching is. I want to take us back just a, a little bit and I think about you know just the long history you've had and 27 years as the director of the track and field program at University of Missouri. You started the sports psychology graduate program there. You know, just you've had so much success. When you think about your success as a track and field coach. What would you say, you know, in terms of what led to that and, you know, in terms of your coaching and how you showed up as a coach?
0: Well, the first answer is going to sound trite. Maybe it is trite, but in the end of the day, it's the truth and every coach should be admitting it. The number one variable that led to our successes uh, at Missouri and and beyond uh, was that I just had a great opportunity to work with unbelievably great athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and in the end of the day, I've never made a slow kid fast. You know, I've helped people become faster or higher or farther, but it, it, it took talented, talented athletes. For sure. That I mean, it's just, that's just the truth. And so it's not trite and it's an important recognition. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I understood that my role was to be a steward of their opportunity, mm. and and stewards protect things, and so so my role was to polish them, not pound them. And to certainly, I, I was to help them get stronger and faster and quicker and and more flexible and and more resilient. And, but in the end of the day, I was to protect them, their health, their fitness, their opportunities. And, and to nurture in them their sense of autonomy, that they were in control, not me,
1: hmm.
0: and that my job was to have them feel inspired and not be driven by the external motivation that came from me as their coach. And so everything that I did, every word, every action, every workout, every relationship started and grew with that one basic understanding that I've got great athletes here with, that have <clears throat> amazing opportunities, and it's my job to protect them and those opportunities and give them all the chance to flourish and become reality. That's really what, what the University of Missouri, it provided me an intersection where really great, talented young men and women could choose to come and be a part of our environment. And at the beginning, as you were aware, we didn't have an outdoor track at Missouri. I mean, not even an old one to practice on. Wow! Uh, and so it looked like, gee, why would anybody go there? They don't even have a track. And you can be sure in high-level Division One sport that might get mentioned a few times by the opposing coaches in the recruiting.
1: <laughs> Negative recruiting, right?
0: And so, and so I tell I tell everybody right up front. Here, this is, what it's, this is what it's going to be. And if you're interested, I want you to come visit. When you come visit, you're going to find for sure we don't have a track. Uh, but we're, what you're also going to find is we have some fantastic track and field athletes, and they're all – the thing they have in common is they're all there at Missouri with me. And so your job when you come to visit is to see if you can find out why did they pick that, why did they choose to come to be here, and why might you – want to choose to come be here with them. And so obviously my belief was that there are a lot of ways you can train people. They don't have to be on a track. Fortunately, in my 14th year, we got a beautiful track, one of the best in the country. But I understood from not having a track that the track isn't what makes the difference. It's the relationship, it's the mission, and it's the approach and and the experiences growing that are being provided Uh, in the relationships and in the setting uh, where we find ourselves.
1: So Rick, I I like that you mentioned uh, just, you know, that you didn't have the track, so it might have been a place where student athletes didn't want to come, but obviously they did. You know, when when you talk about autonomy and how to build it, I think people might be listening and thinking, okay, well, actually, how do you do that? How do you help athletes um, feel like they are in control of themselves and you know they're not doing it for for the coach or for other external reasons what practical advice would you give a coach or a parent or you know a, diff- a leader related to building autonomy
0: uh, this is easy and some people just don't want to accept how easy it is you can tell people what to do or you can describe what you're trying to achieve and then give people an array of choices so it's all autonomy is all about, I take control of me and I make the choice about how, what I'm going to invest myself in. And that I I do that on a a broad scale basis for over a period of years. I do it on an annual basis. I do it on a daily basis and I do it on a moment by moment basis. And so people say, well, that sounds kind of philosophic. So I say, okay, here, let's get real then. I had absolutely no rules on my team, zero rules. And you could talk to kids, kids from my team. And they would say, no, coach coach never talked about rules. So I didn't even have a rule about uh, you have to go to practice. I did not want kids to come to practice because the rule was you had to be at practice on time. And if you didn't, here's the punishment. I didn't want them to come to practice because they had to go to practice. I wanted them to come to practice because they wanted to get great and they knew that practice with me and with our staff they were going to have the opportunity not only to get great but to share with others trying to get great but they had to choose to come i did have three expectations one was to have a desire to be good and have the willingness to work hard to be good a lot of times i've had people say i want to be great and i'd say that's good that's good i get it just you haven't been around really great ones yet and you're going to see a high bar and But, of course, I want you to be striving to be great and be willing to invest yourself in becoming great. Second, I expect kids to go to class every day. And one time I had an athlete say, that sounds like a rule. I said, no, it's not a rule. It's an expectation. I expect you to go to class every day. It was a young man, and he said, well, coach, I love everything you're talking about, but if if I'm at Missouri, I want you to know that I'll be 19 years old. I think when I'm 19 years old, I should be able to choose whether I go to class or not. Gosh, I could go to war. So I, I'll be able to choose whether I can go to class or not. I said, that's exactly right. He said, You said you expect me to go to class every day. That's because I do expect you every day to get up and choose and go to class. Unless you're sick, really sick, and you're going to endanger the other ones in the class, then I expect you to go and go to class. He said, But, but I'm not, I'll be 19. I, I think I should have the right to choose. I said, That's good. I'll be 55, and I've got the right to choose who I'm going to pay for school for. And I'm going to pay for school for the people who are going to go to school. So if you're not going to get and go to school, why would I pay for going to school? So I didn't say I'm going to make you go to class. It's just if you want your scholarship, you got to go to class. That's all. I expect you to choose to go to class. It's all about choice. Might as well start right there, going to class. And the third thing, as I said, I expect everybody to recognize that none of us get along in the world without help from others. Sometimes we know exactly who helped us. Sometimes we don't. Uh, But none of us can be as successful for an island unto ourselves. We all benefit from others giving us a hand up, a help, an encouragement, an idea, an opportunity, whatever it is. Whenever somebody does something good that's going to help you and make your day easier or better, or you are you to get better at what you're trying to do, you make sure they know you appreciate it. And the only way that they can be I can be sure and you can be sure that they do is if you walk up look them in the eye engage jaw and say thank you a lot i'm not saying say thank you to me i'm saying say, say thank you to anybody that's helped you along the way and is helping you today if we live with those three things every day in our life have a desire to be good and be willing to work hard to be good going to class every day and that means we show up and are engaged in who we are and what we're doing and third we're appreciative of others and, and we know we couldn't make it without their help, and we're appreciative, and, and we share that with them. If We do those three things, people who do those three things succeed. Cinder, that's where we started. And then I said to people, you're gonna notice, I have every year in the first team meetings, and we have no rules at practice, usually around three. Uh, we'll have one, one team meeting a week, uh, try to be there, but I'll have a handout on everything that's discussed so you can get it if you don't get, if you've got a lab or something so I don't have any rules, but I'm going to give you a thousand choices a day Hmm. that you get to make the choice on. And the better you get at making the right choice, it's like getting through a maze. You can go left, right, straight ahead or backwards. You got to make the right choice. You make the right choices over and over and over and over and over again. Then you find yourself at the 600 mark in the 800 meter race, that's that far corner where the gorilla pole is and the gorilla jumps on your back and plants both feet in the cheeks of your butt and reaches over your forehead and gets your upper lip and tries to pull it back over your nose. I know that people say, what are you talking about? But I know you know what that feels like, Cindra. For sure. And at, and at that moment, at that moment, only you can make the choice to run those last 200 meters hard, and the last 80, and the last 50, and the last 30, when someone pulls up on your shoulder, only you can dig down in and find that little bit more it's going to take to dive at the line and be the champion. And you're going to learn that. You can make that choice. You will make that choice because you're going to have been making hundreds and thousands of choices every day instead of being a robot that just reacts to everything I say to do.
1: Outstanding. So that's a great example of like how to build autonomy. Uh, Rick, before we kind of dive into some of the principles of positive coaching that you've outlined, I want to ask you a question uh, and and have uh, you share a story with us, because I think you could see your career as, you know, 27 years, a head coach at University of Missouri. You started a graduate program. You've worked, you know, with USA Track and Field, Um, you know, all of these accolades. Can you tell us a story about Maybe a time that didn't go so well for you, maybe a time that you failed or you had somebody that you worked with that that failed just as a way for us to connect with you and and also learn more about like what did you learn from that maybe mistake or failure Wow <laughs> can you think of something
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah the there was uh, early early in my Collegiate coaching experience I had uh, I was working with two terrific athletes. both went on to be all Americans, and they were a couple. Mm-hmm. they were the boyfriend girlfriend, and they were in the same events, so trained together with the rest of the athletes in those events, but trained together, traveled together because they were higher level. Uh, athletes and some of the others in our training group they had opportunities that were nearly limitless you know they were nationally ranked so they qualified for every meet including olympic trials so the three of us spent a lot of time traveling together and had strong relationship with both so we were we were really i mean literally we're talking national championships olympic trials and you know lesser meat on the way, along the way in the season, one of the two kind of stubbed their toe. Uh, not, not literally, they just they, they let down, they didn't give their best, they had a poor performance. It wasn't a knocky out, but it was a setback. And I saw it as a teaching moment. And so I did some significant teaching Okay. but it had to do with addressing better choice making and how we apply that and how it carries over from what appear to be little things into makes difference in key moments in a competition against other high level athletes you wouldn't you wouldn't you, it wouldn't be exposed if they were other athletes were just average athletes but in a when it's the best show up together those little things are going to end up being the, the weak links in the chain and you won't get more success. So I thought it a teaching moment.
1: Okay.
0: And I, so I taught and, and, and I, and I said to the two of them, look at it, it's just the three of us, but would you rather just have it be you and me or is it okay with the third? And oh no, that's not, that's, everything's fine coach. you know, we're close. This is all good. Bring it on. So I did, and I didn't do it meanly, but it but it was addressing uh had to do a better job of making better choices on these kinds of things, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end of the day, caused a serious setback in my relationship with the one who was being critiqued and instructed with the significant other in the conver- in hearing the conversation, seeing the conversation. And even though the the one had given me permission didn't see it coming I should have seen it coming Mm -hmm. swore I would never do that again
1: Mm -hmm. and what do you Uh, feel like you learned from that situation how did it impact your coaching later
0: well I did never do it again (laughs) (laughs) that that would be but it brought things back for me Mm -hmm. that so there there was no when we had this conversation there was it was just instruction there was no yelling, there was no cursing, there was no uh, condemning. It it was all, here was a little blip, here was a little blip, here was a little blip. That develops a, a habit pattern. And then here in this setting, can you see the connection between, and in this setting, this is what you didn't do. And you're gonna, but you're gonna be in this, in these kinds of settings where this, this what might others might think is small is, turns out to be enough to derail uh your your pathway to success i learned from that really what i knew from the beginning that anything that would be humiliating or demeaning or Mm. condemning just doesn't have to be and it certainly Mm. doesn't have to be in front of others and and even if the others, and maybe even more specifically, especially not, in front of the others when the other is uh, your most special relationship in your life. So I, So I learned, even though I thought we were in a perfectly safe environment and setting and, and safe and secure relationships, I learned that that significant other relationship thing is really powerful. Uh, really important. And so that's not a good idea. But, if, but at the, on the broader scale, it just stamped for me even more. So I was in a setting there where it was a, a, literally three people in a comfortable room talking specific stuff about what impacted a less than best performance, normal coaching stuff in a really safe setting. So just think what it, that stamped for me the criticalness of in a public setting with at practice or at a competition. And as you know, in track, there's a lot of coach athlete activity that happens in and during and around the performance, even for runners on the track, the coach and athlete are communicating and, and information and, and encouragement is being provided. And, but it, it shared with me. It cemented for me the realization of never sure. demean or call out or have personal criticism in front of others. That that the the cons so outweigh the pros that it's learn a better way. Develop some some personal signals that you might you know you might you, you might say a thing that. You know, chocolate chip cookies. And that sounds to the rest of the world like chocolate chip cookies. But the athlete knows what you're really saying with chocolate chip cookies. You know, it, and, and it might be real strong encouragement and to change something they're doing. But there's no humiliation, no embarrassment, no mm-hmm. degradation, no way to bring any confusion of that into play. Philosophic, but it was, that's a, that was a big thing in my life.
1: And I appreciate you sharing that with us because I think it shows that you're real. Right. And, and, uh, we can learn a lot from situations that you share like that. What do you think the take home for us is, you know, like I heard you say demeaning condemning and, you know, calling people out personal criticism in front of others is not the way to go. Is there any other messages from that story that you want us to hear? Like any, lessons that we can take from a difficulty you had
0: probably the takeaway from that as the people who are hearing this this interview will know I didn't know that that question was coming
1: right I know
0: (laughs) and 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 at first I didn't know where to go or what to share and I went so I went to one that was a significant thing early in my life and know that then it was early in my career but it wasn't the beginning of my career I had had 12 years of coaching experience when that happened. Not at Missouri. This was before I got to Missouri. But I'd had 12 years of coaching experience, and know that every day I was trying to live my role as a coach to never, ever have an athlete inter- right. feel what my teammates and I had felt with right. my coach. So yeah. I didn't. I hadn't yet had things come together to where I had this whole concept of positive coaching and. And, and that turned into you know the 29 principles of positive coaching but but I was very aware that I never ever ever wanted to create an experience for one of my athletes that was anything like the ones that I had experienced and and so early on in the in the understandings of the foundations of what I now call positive coaching are things like you can be Sport is demanding. Life is demanding. So preparing for sport and preparing for life, there's nothing wrong with experiencing demand. But a coach can be demanding without being demeaning. And demeaning is never right. When is it right to be disrespectful of another individual? Answer, never. Okay? There's there's nothing so valuable that it's okay to be, disrespect somebody in an attempt to get something good to happen. I've asked literally hundreds of thousands of coaches, eyeball to eyeball, not one at a time, but I've asked, what do you value? What's really important to you? How would you like it if your leader, your boss, your athletic director, your president, your chancellor, the boss came down on your court, your diamond, your track, your your mat, your pitch, your first tee, your pool deck, track
1: yeah, a lot yeah for sure
0: but sure probably get track in there but come right down where you meet your team and in front of your staff in front of your players in front of your family your spouse your children your neighbors uh your your friends from your community mm-hmm. in front of everybody jumped your case screamed yelled cursed threatened humiliated demeaned humiliated you all in the name of motivating you to work harder to be a better coach? Which of you would love that and thrive with it? If you've got a 100 in the room, you've always got some jackass. that we go, yeah, that's me, bring it on. I'd say, yep, you need counseling. <laughs> because none of us want that. Most of us have experienced it at some time, and we didn't like it. We maybe even got better and later thought, well, boy, yeah, he, uh, uh, he was tough, but but but, but I got there. But it is no fun, and the the real truth is that there's no evidence anywhere that that type of leadership, that that type of external avoidance uh, motivation is more powerful, more enduring, more lasting, more impacting than a whole array of other better ideas and approaches. And it's just really simple. Communicate with the people you lead in a way that you would like to be communicated with by those who lead you. I was with the Chicago White Sox at spring training in the mid, late eighties. Jeff Torborg was the manager. I only would, my approach was I worked with coaches, athletes meet sport at the coach. I teach the coaches, coaches teach the athletes. So we we were there, we were in Fort Myers and, and I, I had coaches and, and managers, and and we had a, a good evening, had an early session the next morning. I was in real early, get set up. The Jeff Torbord manager comes to the room, says, Rick, Rick, I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. I knew it. I knew it. I finally found it. Rick. I said, what was that, Jeff? He says, Rick, it's in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a golden rule. Gosh, Rick, that's a golden rule. Do unto others. Did you know that? I said, "Well, Jeff, I actually didn't know that. Did you know you paid me two thousand dollars to fly down here and teach you that?" <laughs> I mean, it is so simple, Sandra. Sure. And so that—that—I that, mean—that's my takeaway from that. That words you can never take back, and so it takes enormous discipline and understanding. But the—but the payoff is that all these other approaches, all these other alternatives to humiliating and demeaning and threatening are more effective. And they all lead to developing that autonomy because in the midst of competition, only the athlete is in control. Mm -hmm. That's a important realization and understanding that coaches must make. Uh, I'm saying if they want to really be the great effective coach that they dream to be and want to be that that there, these are not, puppets on strings and, and 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 we're the puppet masters and and we're we're calling the shots and making every move and so positive coaching for me that got that became a, a cornerstone of positive coaching and clearly identifying behaviors that should should occur in our coaching role and behaviors that absolutely needed to be excluded from our coaching role
1: So, Rick, tell us a little bit about how you would define positive coaching and and what that means to you.
0: Well, people who, when, when people hear the phrase positive coaching, most people in sport have some idea of what they think that is. And those ideas, lots of times, have to do with be nice, be kind, be sharing. Uh, everybody should get a chance to play, everybody should have a chance to should get a ribbon or a medal. Uh, it's really about everybody having a good experience and having a good time. And, and the critics or people who feel threatened by it would say, well, that's, that's really cool. That's really good, but I've got to win. Now, if, if I was the Brownie Scouts leader and we were gonna have a camp out, and we we're gonna build a bonfire and we we're gonna make s'mores, Positive coaching would be great getting those kids to make the greatest smores in the history of the world. But not for me, where I, win, where I play, we've got to win. And so that won't work where I, with what I do and where I do it. That's what the critics would say. That would be their perspective on what positive coaching is. And I would say, so this now is the answer to your question. I just wanted to frame it like that. I would say that the foundations of positive coaching are all about striving for excellence and every person can experience excellence their own personal excellence every person can strive to be and become the best they can be and whatever that is it's good enough it's understanding it does matter that we win but it's not all that matters positive coaching is all about high performance but it's not all about winning there are other things that matter also it's about achieving optimal performance it's about teaching and modeling the process of becoming a success. Cinder, I think what you and I learned in our own athletic experiences that taught us about what it took to become a success were, the, were the, some of the most important things that we ever learned throughout our entire educational experience. And we can provide an experience in sport that is all about understanding how to engage yourself in the process of becoming a successful and satisfied person. It's about leading a group to become a highly effective team. Positive coaching is all about that. I'd say positive coaching is all about intrinsic motivation, Mm. Uh, not extrinsic, intrinsic, where the source of the reward is found inside of me. You know, as I do from DC and Ryan and 78 on, that the research shows clearly that intrinsic motivation is the most powerful, most impacting, most lasting and enduring of all of our motivational experiences. And, and so as a coach that says to me, wow, I want that for my athletes. I want intrinsic motivation for my athletes. So it's my job to coach them in such a way that it grows and lives in them. And they recognize that they understand what it is and they understand who they are. And I would say to people, and you know for sure, you're not paying me to say this, but I would say to people, and I am saying to people, get Sandra's book. Be yeah. and, and in her book, she's talking about this very topic, about being a success. It, it isn't something that others do for you or to you. It's something you do for you. But this is what positive coaching is. It is about nurturing intrinsic motivation. And in doing that, that you are always communicating with people as you would wish to be communicated with. It's about respecting every kid, every athlete's sense of self worth. It's about being demanding, but never being demeaning. It's about shaping the person's will, the willingness, the willpower to choose to go again and again and again. I mean, again, in your own life, the distance runner, man, you've got, you had anywhere from four and a half minutes to, 30 minutes in your races. Yes. There's a lot of thinking that gets done along it's that
1: Too time. much thinking many times. <laughs>
0: right? Okay. And it, it hurts. People who haven't run the 800 as a race run it hard, or people who haven't run the 10K and be out there 7K and recognize, God, this hurts. I don't think I saved enough. If you don't have that experience, you aren't trying hard enough. So every step along the way, your willpower, your willingness, your will is being tested. Hmm. And the person who has the, the will, all willpower is, is the choice power. The willingness to make the choice to keep going, to do the right thing, to do it correctly, to take one more step, do one more lap. It's all a choice. You break their will, you, if you break their spirit, you've broken their will. So, and I've seen lots of kids have their spirit broken by their coach. And so I talk about shaping their will without breaking their spirit. Hmm. And that's, and the will, where's the willpower? Inside, autonomy, choice-making. So it's realizing it does matter that we win. And this, this comes right to the heart in essence. It, but it does matter that we win as coaches, that we win in the life of every single kid they have the opportunity to share as their coach mm. they to be their coach. Mm. This is what positive coaching is about. Last thing I would say too, coaching really isn't about sport. It gets identified with sport. So when people hear coach, they think sport. Now we're starting to hear life coaches and all this other stuff, but, but coaches coaching is about a relationship that one has with another or others, the team. And in that relationship, it's the coach's role to share, to teach, to guide, to encourage, to share from every bit of what, who the coach is and what the coach has, to share that in such a way with the full intention that in the future the other or others get better. That's what coaching is, to influence others so that they get better. So coaching is about teaching, guiding, encouraging, building, believing, caring, sharing, giving, forgiving, expecting, respecting, modeling, serving, and inspiring. That's what positive coaching is.
1: Hmm. Outstanding. So Rick, I have a few follow-up questions on that. And One of the things that I heard you say was uh, respecting and protecting the self-worth of the athletes. I think right. that word self worth is really powerful, and I think you know the relationship is at the at the heart of that. Tell us what you see coaches do that you think enhances self worth versus you know decreases or uh, doesn't support self worth.
0: Praise, humiliate. Kid makes a mistake. Scream, yell, curse, ridicule. Kid made a mistake. You know what that means needs to learn better instruct error detection error, error correction okay kids made a mistake they haven't learned the thing well enough yet instruct constructively whole lot of instruction is destructive oh that makes no sense they're, they're essentially anonyms you want more <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> well, I'll ask you the, the next question. Um, you know, so I, I appreciate that what you said about self-worth. And when you think about, um, you know, demeaning or humiliating some of those other words that you're really strong that you mentioned, do you think coaches can do that non-verbally? You know, like the, some of the examples that you provided are more like verbal, but I'm thinking about maybe how even in my sporting experience, you know, that that the relationship Wasn't always strong with my coach, and it wasn't necessarily because they demeaned, but it was almost like they didn't care. And then that impacted my self worth, my intrinsic motivation, my ability to want to actually perform well. And so I'm wondering what you think about that because I don't think in this particular situation I'm thinking about, you know, it was positive coaching, but it wasn't demeaning. So I'm just trying to make sense of it as I'm listening to you. What do you think?
0: Well, there's, there's many ways that one person communicates with, with another. And sometimes it's words. Sometimes it's sign language. Sometimes it's posture. Sometimes it's distance. And so sometimes it has to do with safety. Right. And so it has to do with trust. And the issue of a trusting relationship and the strengths of a trusting relationship, and the harm that's done when the trust is broken. The uh, you know, so I've coached 50 years and thousands and thousands of athletes. Am I a perfect model? No, because who's perfect? And in positive coaching we set the bar pretty high
1: mm-hmm.
0: as in terms of what's expected now. I do that because there's a problem in sport, and it is negative coaching, wrong behaviors at all levels. It doesn't doesn't mean every coach everywhere, but I'm telling you, everywhere there are some that are negative coaches, and we all know it. And the problem is that in a lot of cases, they get rewarded, and they stay there, or they even move up. But, But what they're doing is wrong, and it's unnecessary, and it isn't. Remotely, the most effective way to have athletes led, taught, coached in their experience, and so I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but I'm saying I've worked at this for a long time. There, are, there, are, just as your your question is also your answer. That of course there are. So when you ran a 10k and your coach is giving you splits. Uh, the coach is typically standing at a place that 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 uh, has a meaning. You know you know where he or she is. Uh, you're going to go by there you know, several times. The coach will provide a number, split time, and the coach will provide some something that should be encouraging. So the coach does that, and if the coach is be, being encouraging and the words are encouraging and the, the numbers you're getting are giving you information that either you're right on or, you know, to pick it up, or you might want to comment a little bit. You're able to interpret the information. Now, if, if all of a sudden the coach it changes and the coaches in intensity level changes, you've got to interpret. What's that mean? If the words are ones that are causing you to doubt or be confused or, feel hurt or ashamed or know that with all those people and, and you're there and it's a hard day but a coach I'm trying but you're hearing this stuff and then and I've seen this I know you've seen this I hope you haven't experienced it but sometimes the coach is embarrassed Sure. so the coach leaves the next time the kid comes around the coach isn't even there Right. could there be a stronger statement than that no is it necessary no Is it, is it right? No. Right. So, so I want to say two things here. One, it's all about communication. There's lots of ways that we communicate. We have more opportunities to communicate and communicate publicly as coaches than the normal person. So that means we have a challenge that most normal, most normal jobs and people don't have. Uh, Is there any chance that we're going to be perfect Every single time with every single kid, for a 50-year career, of course not. But we can start with the intention and the awareness and understanding. And there are a lot of intersections. I know for a fact what what was said and done to me as a coach, as an athlete. I I can take time, place. I can write the script. Uh, if you, you don't, you get called a stupid M. Effort. You don't forget that. You get called that in front of people. You don't get that, wow! And that's not a my friender. We all know it,
1: right? Exactly.
0: And, you know, and, and and you know, the kid doesn't forget that. So you've had tough experiences at times with the coaches. You haven't forgotten them, and no, it's I haven't. a source of motivation. I see it in your book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just just like you see it in my book. So, so the point is, the bar for us isn't perfection but we should be striving to be the very best we can be. And, and the, and the bad stuff is a low bar, you know, I mean, even the very untalented high jumper can get over a low bar. So, so we can identify the things that should never show up in our communication, including never walk away and leave them, you know, so, so all the ways that we communicate are in play. And, and and whether it's verbal or nonverbal, as coaches, we need to be skilled. Most most coaches are, are highly effective communicators. And even, I mean, the ones who I would say are negative coaches are highly effective communicators. I'm just saying what they're communicating is wrong, unnecessary, and should not be allowed. So just as you have I, I, in positive coaching, this isn't. Positive coaching was not built out of ideas that I picked pulled out of my hip pocket. No, it's it stands on really great accepted research and that creates the foundation that the whole thing's built on. And I know that this is 2019 and 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 nobody's buying Model T Fords anymore. But I also know that there are some giant in, in our professional field of psychology that um, are giants. Probably none bigger, none bigger than Maslow. Most people that have taken a psychology course in high school or college, if you say Maslow, they say self-actualization, and they may not know anything else in psychology, but they know that. And so self-actualization is just striving to be the best me I can be. Isn't that what I want for every kid I coach? Them striving to be the best they can be? And what did Maslow tell us? Well, he told us, well, first you gotta have the needs met to keep you alive, food, shelter, water. Then you need to to have a safe setting. You can't be be striving to perform if you're trying to also stay alive. So you gotta be in a safe setting. Pretty quick, he gets to things like self-worth. That's where this, that's where this question started. So he talks about self-worth. And he talks about feeling belonging, being appreciated and accepted. So I just, put that all, I just put those all into self-worth and say, in sport, we can do this. I can do this. I can have every athlete know that they are loved not romantic love, loved, cared for, appreciated, belong right here. You're important to me. And where we are, it matters that you're important to me. When everybody else sees you're important to me, that means you're important to them. This matters. And when people have that in their life, we all know what came next in Maslow's hierarchy, self-actualization. Absolutely. And if, But if they don't have that, and you and I in our experience, it both experienced a, a, a setback on some of this. We, didn't, we weren't getting that great self-worth experience. And we both got past it and learned from it and went on and, and, and found ways in our career to help others not have to deal with that. But the, but the very point here is that if you do, if all the other stuff is in place, but an athlete is shamed and demeaned and humiliated, you've just short circuited the process one step from self-actualization. Everything else is blown up if you've destroyed their self-worth. The person who does not feel worthy or valuable has no reason to do all the things it takes to strive for and achieve excellence.
1: So Rick, one thing that I'm hearing just in in the whole interview today is this um, relationship as at the center, right? Of positive coaching. And you've talked about how it's important the way that we communicate, right? And and coaches are great communicators. Is there anything else that you think, when you think about like painting this picture of a a relationship that's based on positive coaching, is there anything that you think we haven't talked about that can give people a sense of the relationship that they should work to create?
0: Yes, and it's it's probably the thing that I'm going to focus this next chapter of my career on is going to be focused on helping coaches understand this. It isn't just how we communicate, but what we communicate. And uh, that the coach, kids meet sport, the coach. So the coach is the, this isn't the new stuff. The coach is the definer, the shaper, the creator, the deliverer of the sport experience. And you and I both understand that any coach, any day, can absolutely make a great experience for the team or an individual athlete or two or three people on the team can make a great experience for them, or they can break that experience, have a horrible experience. It's easy. It's easy. We've, We've, we've both seen lots of athletes get broken by their coach. Okay. But we don't want to be breakers. We want to be makers. And, and so, so we, we are, you and I in all this conversation and a whole lot of our work are focused on how the coach delivers, how the coach coaches. But in the end of the day, the coach, what doesn't matter what the sport is, there are some capabilities that need to be built for the athlete to get better so they can perform better. So they can prepare better to perform better. And so every coach has to be developing the athlete physically, so train the body, technically, skills, tactically, strategies, plays, mentally, how they think. And it's it's really simple. I mean, so Yogi Berra, somebody said something about 90%, sports 90% mental
1: right that's yeah
0: not, that's nonsense if it was why do we sweat so much
1: <laughs>
0: so but it's but but it's important and at the moment of delivery it might have absolutely the controlling variable on de- delivering the very best performance we have so at that at that instant of delivery it might be you know a real high percentage because we we, we understand wrong thoughts hurt performance If wrong thoughts hurt performance, right thoughts will help performance. So I'm all the time teaching. Wrong thoughts hurt, right thoughts help, learn the difference, learn to think right. Think right. Okay, well on this think right, we really need to understand this. So I tell a story that Harry Mara told me. So Harry Mara is Ashton Eaton's coach, and Harry tells this publicly. And so I'm referencing Harry and Ashton, but he tells it publicly. Okay. So it's not me. This isn't, this isn't telling stories that shouldn't be told. But the story is one that all coaches should should know and understand and and respect and honor. And I think it's what you, I think you'll be glad for this story. So so Ashton Eaton, for those who aren't track and field fans or follow the Olympic games, Ashton Eaton is the two-time Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon and multiple world indoor and outdoor championships, including the world record in both the decathlon and the indoor heptathlon for men. Certainly one of the greatest track and field athletes that ever lived. Okay. Harry became Ashton's coach. I think, between Ashton's sophomore and junior years at the University of Oregon. And he had emerged as a sophomore as this really amazing athlete. He'd been a good freshman. He was an unbelievable athlete as a sophomore, and he was just getting started. Everybody knew it. And I happened to coach one of his, at the time, rivals, and we knew this kid's special. Harry was chosen Ashton's coach had left uh, to go to the University of Northern Iowa to be the head coach, and Harry was chosen to be the new coach uh, for for Ashton and the decathletes and heptathletes at Oregon. So Harry, Harry, Harry had known of, he'd seen, they, I don't know if Ashton knew Harry prior to that, they didn't have a relationship other than connection in the decathlon. So on their first meeting, so Ashton comes in the office Harry's still just getting his stuff put into the file cabinets and drawers and getting organized and Ashton comes in and, he, and Harry gets up and greets him they're shaking hands. Harry goes to sit down and ha- and Ashton's still standing and, and Harry, Harry looks at Ashton and Ashton says, Coach, before we get started this is something I want to I want to told you I want to said to you is that okay? okay
1: sure
0: And so Ashton says coach, I want you to know whatever it is you tell me to do. Whatever it is, whatever it is you tell me to do, however you tell me to do it, I promise you that every single time I will 100% try to do exactly what you tell me to do, exactly how you tell me to do it. So you better be right. How about that last part?
1: Yeah. Wow. That it sounds was, like pressure.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what Harry thought. Harry, Harry said, I could, he said, Wow. That's it exactly. Here I was thinking, I'm going to be here. I got this great athlete. Wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be magic. I couldn't wait for that conversation to get over and for him to leave. Not because I didn't want to talk to him, but because I needed to study because he was right. I have to be right. Okay. That's my point. This is the responsibility of coaches. So, whatever, whatever, whatever sport you coach, You need to know that what you're teaching is right. How you're training your athlete physically, how you're teaching skills, and and what are the mechanics of skills and and understanding motor learning. So you have that skill learning. So you can be an instructor that's that's literally plugging into how to teach motor skills correctly. The strategic part of the game uh, is obvious plays and strategies and responding to the, the opponents and what they're doing and where that fits in this competition. This is an important part. And then, obviously, where you and I live, there's so much critical in the mental aspects of, of sport preparations of, and certainly in sport competitions. And these aren't just inherited things. These are absolutely teachable, learnable skills. And you and I both know that there's way more available for coaches to know about the mental aspects of sport today than there were 30, 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And how you and I know that is because we know what's there and we both are contributing to having there be more and better there for coaches and athletes to be able to, to learn and be right So they can prepare better to perform better and achieve more. And when they do that and achieve more to be prouder and happier and more fulfilled and absolutely motivated to want to do more, but that won't happen. If the way coaches coach what they coach is just how they were coached or the offense, their coach used or what they read a book or they went to a clinic and they brought the guys work the speakers workouts back and, You just use those workouts. No. It's a responsibility of a coach. Kids have you as their coach. Sport is going to be one of the most defining experiences in their life. You have the opportunity to impact each youngster for their life. Be prepared. That's what the next, I hope, 10 years of my career.
1: Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Rick, I know we have to wrap it up. I need to have you back on because I think we need to go uh, deeper into some of your principles. But where should people uh, find more about the Missouri Institute of Positive Coaching? Where can they find more about uh, your 29 principles of positive coaching? Tell us where we can find more information or how we can contact you. I know you do a lot of speaking, coaching training all over the world. So tell us how we might reach out to you for interest in learning more.
0: uh, pretty easy. Uh, Dr. Rick McGuire.com was one, and there'll be a link there to the Missouri Institute for Positive Coaching. If you put Missouri Institute for Positive Coaching in, it'll eventually. Sometimes it'll take you right to it, but sometimes it'll go other directions. And so, it might be. I think it's even m o positivecoaching.com will probably get you there also as in Missouri MO. But drrickmcguire.com will get you there, get you to me. I can get you to the other. You get all, you can find all of it at both places.
1: Outstanding. Well, I am so grateful for the time that you spent with us today. Things that stood out to me was, you know, your conversation at the beginning about building autonomy and giving athletes choices. And I'm grateful for the story that you shared of a difficulty, even though I didn't, uh, tell you that question was gonna come. So I appreciate you just being open and honest about that. And just the, the power of building a strong relationship and not demeaning or you know, condemning athletes. I appreciated all the, the content and, and tips that you provided us today. So Rick, I'm just grateful for what you've done uh, in our field and how you have positively impacted coaches and sports psychology professionals all over the world. So thank you for all that you have done to, to help us and help us be better in, in our field and in our sport. So thank you so much today for taking the time to talk with us.
0: Anytime, Sindra, you know that. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to high performance mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong for more inspiration and to receive Sindra's free weekly videos, check out drcindra.com.